The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's Super Bowl weekend, Sky. We're going to get to the Super Bowl, football, some other topics related to it on the back end of the podcast. But this week, there's some other contests going on, and it's all about the primary. It's all about North Carolina politics. It's about the election coming up this fall. And we had a pair of polls from Meredith and High Point University. Let's dig into that, Sky. You were going through it earlier this week. What'd you find? Let's start with the top of the ticket. In the presidential election, the Meredith poll said that Trump had a 44% lead to a 39% over Biden. And in our gubernatorial race, it showed that Josh Stein has a 39% to 34% lead over Mark Robinson. So just a reminder, Polls are just a snapshot in time. This is a very fluid race. Not a lot of money has been spent yet. We're about to learn just how evil everyone is over the next few months, and folks will respond to those ads in polling numbers. So uh, right now, not really a lot of surprises, and that also includes some numbers around the primary coming up on March 5th, President Trump has, quote, a commanding lead over his opponent. 72% are, are choosing President Trump to 20% for former Governor Haley. If this poll sticks, not going to be a good showing for the former governor. And she just came off this week, uh, the Nevada primaries, which was very confusing. Apparently there was one on Tuesday, then there was another one on Thursday. But Tuesday, former Governor Nikki Haley, she got bested by none of the above. Yeah, and I saw a tweet that was like, if that were on the ballot in November, that would probably win. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any politician wants to face none of the above. Something that was interesting about the presidential polling in the Meredith poll was that most of the demographic groups break the way you would think they would break. But Gen Z voters were a surprise. Trump's approval rating among 18 to 24 year olds is about 31 percent and Biden's is about 49 percent. But Gen Z Males are twice as likely to approve of Donald Trump than Gen Z females. Wow. Let's get into some gubernatorial Republican politics. No surprises here. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is polling 34% to Bill Graham's 9%. But you pointed this out, Sky. A lot of folks are undecided. 42% of voters in that Republican primary have said that they are still undecided, which is crazy because we are less than a month out from primaries. I mean, we're going to start early voting very soon. So 42% of you out there, you're going to have to make a choice or maybe you just stay at home. That'll be interesting to see. Over on the Democratic side, Scott, what's going on? Josh Stein, current attorney general running for governor, got 31% of those polled saying, hey, he's our top choice. But again, more than half of the people said they haven't made up their minds. Yeah, even Professor David McLennan over at Meredith University said this is awful late to have this many undecided voters. I expect people will start paying attention the closer they get to the voting decision. I mean, the time is now. Over at High Point University, they talked to voters about what was on their mind. So in that High Point poll, they were asking what are the issues you care about in this election and in no surprise to anyone 
inflation was number one, that was 72% of folks. National security, right behind it, 71%. School safety, 70%. Mm. Protecting democracy, 66%. And healthcare rounded out that top of the list. You know, what's interesting is, you know, Republicans are really hammering home the immigration message. And I noticed that was not in the top. It certainly showed up in the High Point University polling, but not at the top. And President Biden has been really campaigning on, hey, inflation is going away. Bidenomics are working. So I thought it was interesting that inflation still remains at the top. The Meredith poll also got into a few issues that are on the minds of voters. Distracted driving, medical marijuana, casino gambling. And this is interesting. And we're going to talk about it at the back end of the podcast whether pop star Taylor Swift's relationship with Travis Kelsey makes them like the Kansas City Chiefs any more or any less. By the way, 63% said it had no impact on how they view the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, what's interesting about that is that there are partisan differences in terms of how people view the Kansas City Chiefs, a majority of Democrats had a favorable view of the Chiefs, while slightly less than half of Republicans have a favorable favorable review of them. This is so sad. This is this is not doing politics better, folks. Sports is supposed to be our outlet from politics. Don't let politics creep into sports. Something interesting about the Meredith poll is that they asked about medical marijuana. And that was something that pulled very well, even among Republicans. Wow. Did they distinguish between medical and recreational? It is just on medical marijuana and specifically around Senate Bill 3. And 78% of those polled support that passage of that particular bill. And only 18% of people were opposed. That's incredible. I mean, that's up there with apple pie and baseball. I mean, uh, you just don't get polling numbers like that on an issue, uh, especially at a time when we're so divided. So interesting. The other thing that pulled incredibly high as far as issues was distracted driving. Hmm. 91% of respondents indicated they supported the General Assembly passing a bill that prohibits drivers from holding your phone while driving. Don't we have some version of that? I always see it in the Senate. Is that right? I thought Representative Garland Pierce got something passed years ago. I'm looking it up now. So texting and driving is illegal in North Carolina, and it looks like the last year that was updated was 2012. Yeah, seems like that was a Representative Garland Pierce bill. He had been working on it, with former Speaker of the House Tom Tillis, who was then former Representative Tom Tillis in the House before he became Speaker, they had worked on it. And then when he became Speaker, he helped Representative Pierce get it done. I could be wrong about that. Correct me. Send me a note if I am wrong or if you have more to say about that. We'll hear about this. Isn't this a Joe Stewart thing? Yeah. Let us know, Joe Stewart. Someone in the insurance industry, you guys know. Uh, Senator Todd Johnson, he knows a lot about insurance, and we had some really sad news this week about just an unfortunate incident that happened to him and his family. So a man from Ohio was arrested this week after threatening Senator Johnson and his family, and those were threats on Facebook. Yeah. The gentleman from Ohio, Nicholas Daniels, 38 years old, he did appear in court this week. He pled not guilty, said it was not him, that someone had hacked his Facebook. That is a very common excuse these days. Someone hacked me. But anyway, he is going to go through the court process. Senator Johnson said he didn't want to make a comment about this incident, and we respect that. We don't really know what is going on with this gentleman, Mr. Daniels. Uh, Seems like there could be mental health problems, uh, or he just has an axe to grind with Senator Johnson. I will say this, that uh, either way, mental health, 
This guy's prone to violence. We do really need to be careful with the language we use. And that uh, language that we use a lot on social media can sometimes be careless and reckless. And just know that people who are unhinged or disturbed or prone to violence read what you write. And sometimes they act on it. And this was just a threat to Senator Johnson and his family. But let's remember, we have a sad, tragic history in our country of violence, especially against elected officials. And just be careful out there with uh, the language that you use, especially when you're talking about very hot political issues. Race of the week. So this week, we're going to travel down to High Point, which is in Guilford County. It's a suburb of Greensboro and uh, Representative Cecil Brockman, a Democrat who's been serving in the General Assembly, I believe, since 2014. We've had Representative Brockman on the podcast. You can go back and listen to that. But uh, Representative Brockman is known for making deals in the General Assembly, and he has voted for Republican Uh, written budgets since taking office. He's also voted with Republicans on school choice issues. Uh, Representative Brockman is a strong believer in school choice, whether it's opportunity scholarships, charter schools, the expansion of both. Now, it has gotten him in some hot water with certain elements of the Democratic Party, mainly the young Democrats and the Teen Democrats, I think it is. They went after him this past summer when he voted for the budget. Anyway, Sky, he's got an opponent this year who's challenging him for that Democratic nomination. And you and I were talking about it yesterday because the Assembly dropped a pretty good article about that race yesterday. James Adams is running against Representative Brockman, and he is the immediate past president of the High Point NAACP. And that assembly article talked about how he used to be one of Brockman's biggest supporters. Yeah, we should point out that the article was written by uh, Ren Larson uh, with the assembly. Great piece. You can check it out on the assembly NC website. Uh, but this this race is one of many races in which... Uh, Democrats who have been uh, reaching across the aisle or Republicans reaching across the aisle to these Democrats uh, have found themselves with primaries. We've got Michael Ray. We'll talk about that race later. Uh, Shelley Willingham. We'll talk about that race as well. But uh, the Brockman race, front and center, it's one of those things, Sky. Is this a smart move? for Democrats. On one hand, you want to have party discipline. I think Democrats are correct that when it comes to vetoes, veto overrides, upholding the governor's veto, with the margins the way they are, they have to stick together. On the other side of this, you got to, Representative Brockman makes some great points in this assembly article that, look, he's just trying to help his district. He was elected to help District 60 down in High Point. He was not elected to help the Democratic Party. He was not elected to help the governor. He's like, look, the budget would have passed with me or without me. I might as well make a deal and bring home millions of dollars. And on the other side, you got Democrats saying, look, we elected you. You have a D behind your name. You need to stick with the party line. But This is up to the voters of High Point. We'll see what they do. You were looking, Sky, at the campaign finance report. Where are we as far as fundraising goes between Mr. Adams and Representative Brockman? It looks like Mr. Adams' end-of-year report, he's raised about $11,000, has about a little over $9,000 cash on hand. And I didn't see an end-of-the-year report for Representative Brockman, but his mid-year report, he had over $40,000 on hand. I did speak to Representative Brockman this week. He said he feels good about the race. He does believe that some independent expenditures at the behest of these elements within the Democratic Party are going to come in and uh, do some mail. But he feels that he has deep ties to the High Point community. His family goes way back uh, in the community. But we'll see. The primary is March 5th. We'll continue to 
look at some of these races as uh, we get closer to the primary. And if you have some races you think we should be looking at, digging deeper on, send us a message. Current Representative Caleb Rudow, we've had him on the podcast before, but we brought him in to talk about why he would leave a safe seat in the legislature to run for North Carolina House District 11, that's Congressional District, against current Congressman Chuck Edwards. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Caleb Rudow, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It is always so good to be here. So if you did not listen to our first interview with Representative Rudow, it is from April 6th. You can look it up and find it. Listen to his life story. But he is back because you have some life updates. That is true. I am running for U.S. Congress. <laughs> I'm working on my Congress Very voice. What does that sound like? It's, kind of, it's like JFK. I don't know. It just seems like it's yeah, it's pretty generic. But we'll workshop it. it, it it's coming along. And, you know, it, it's a hard decision to make, like like running for office, like everything else. And you got to talk to your friends and your family. Um and, you know, my favorite quote from that whole discussion was I talked to my therapist and he was like, I was like, I'm running for Congress. Is this a sign of some kind of psychosis? And he was like, no, you're kind of a glutton for punishment. You'll be fine, which I think was like, is true. You know, I think like being in the super minority prepares you for a lot of hard things. Mm-hmm. You know, being an organizer prepares you. And it was a hard decision. And I, you know, after redistricting, you know, I'm a kind of a weird case because my district got bluer. You know, it's now 80-20 um, and um, Democrat lean. So it's, it's the bluest district, you know. Um, Western North Carolina by far. And that's no fun for an organizer. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's totally true. I want a challenge. I want to be able to do something interesting. And, you know, when, you know, you're looking around and we're trying to find somebody to run for the NC-11 district and, you know, nobody would step up. And, you know, looking around at the NC-11 district, you know, realizing that, you know, it's an uphill battle, but there are so many votes to be had out there in Western North Carolina. And and that's going to help Josh Stein and that's going to help, you know, Democrats up and down the ballot. And there's a real organizing opportunity to go out there and talk to you know way more people than we did for my statehouse district. And honestly, you know, to help with depolarization, I think you know one of the big problems is we don't go out and talk to people. We don't go out and talk to each other. And and I believe you know going out there and listening and building relationships is you know just can be a huge win for the Democratic Party. We are the obviously underdogs in this district, um, but this is the most flippable race in North Carolina. Maybe that's, you know, it's still going to be a long shot, but it is, I'll say it again, the most flippable race in North Carolina. For Democrats. For Democrats. Yeah. The counties that you are running for in the 11th district are what counties? Oh, thank you, because I practiced this. Avery, Buncombe, Clay, Cherokee, Graham, Haywood, Henderson, Jackson, Macon, McDowell, Mitchell, Madison, Polk, Swain, Transylvania, Yancey County, and the Koala Boundary. Wow. There we go. In alphabetical order. Yeah, I get mixed up with the M's. I think the M's, <laughs> I mix one up. It's like slightly different, but yeah, pretty much. All right. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's 16 counties. Um, there's like a half a county in there. Um, Polk, Polk is an all, all, all Polk, but, um, you know, it's a big district. Yeah. But, you know, I, I grew up out in, in Asheville. I grew up you know, actually outside Asheville in the country. Um, and it, it is the most beautiful district in the state. You know, and, far, and, and yes. I'd argue, you know, the most be- one of the most beautiful in the country, the most beautiful in the country. From an organizing standpoint, I'm not asking you to share with our listeners your strategy, but can you give us uh, an idea of how one organizes in a district, one that is so vast, two, there's not a lot of density, especially out in the yeah. rural areas of the rural areas. Of course, there are towns and people right. live in clusters there, but... I mean, it's not exactly a district you can go walk. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I got a new pair of, sh- pair of sneakers for this year, so okay. we're going we're gonna to walk some of it. And, and there's a lot of doors you can get out to. But, you know, I think the first thing, you know, organizers believe in, it's, you know, it's about relationships. And, and this is what we're spending a lot of time on, which is you go out and, and you figure out who are community leaders, who are people you need to go out and talk to first. And you go out and talk to them and you, and you build a relationship and you listen and, and you try to hear from them and try to address their concerns. And then you kind of slowly build out. 
And I think the second piece there is, um, you know, you show up where people are. And this is what we've done, I do, you know, all year, which is whenever there's a big event, we we show up and I got my, you know, I'm Caleb Rudow, what's on your mind t-shirt that I wear all the time. And, and you know, you have to think about, you know, how do you use your time wisely? And, you know, going to churches, you know, going to barbecues, you know, we're doing a storytelling event this uh, week in Asheville that I'm excited about. And, you know, my goal is whenever there's a big group of people, how do we show up? How do we, you know, make ourselves known as a, you know, a presence that's listening? And, you know, that's a big part of it. And then the second piece, yeah, we're still going to do a lot of door-to-door out in a lot of those places. And, you know, I worked on the census, that would be three years ago. And it's great prep for this because you, you know, go you are trying to count the people who are not, who didn't respond. They're not uncountable, but they're very hard to get to. And, you know, you got to be safe when you do that, but you'll find people more welcoming generally and, and, you know, kinder and more thoughtful than, than you would really expect. And one of the things we've done this year, um, and I'm really proud of as we do kind of nonpartisan canvassing. So I'll just knock on everybody's door in a neighborhood and say, Hey, I'm Caleb Rudow. I'm your rep. I work for you. You know, let me know if you have any concerns. Um, and and so it, it's really good prep to try to get outside of your bubble because your typical canvassing, you just talk to, you know, who is in that percentage point that might swing your way and that you might be able to convince. But, you know, I think a big problem in our politics is we talk to those folks too much and we don't zoom out. And, you know, in my job is as a rep is I got to, even if they didn't vote for me, I got to represent them and at least hear from them. And I think when you have those conversations, honestly, that's what one of the things that makes me most optimistic about this race is that, you know, when you really zoom out and try to talk to folks and listen, and there's plenty of ways that I think, honestly, the Democratic Party platform plays pretty well in Western North Carolina. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about, I think we've tried to strategically think about how does, you know, freedom and rights fit into the Democratic Party platform. And you talk about, you know, reproductive rights, you know, your right to do what you want with your own body. You know, I think, and a lot of the things that happened in the General Assembly this year don't really seem like rights-based, like the <laughs> movements of a rights-based party. You know, when you think about preemption, you know, what we had in, in Asheville this year was, you know, a, a part in the budget that preempted folks from banning plastic bags, which was, you know, I got a lot of letters about. And it was something that, you know, why can't municipalities do that if they want to? And, and why is the party of kind of freedom and rights stepping into that. And so I, I think from a communication standpoint, there are ways that you can reframe some of these conversations around rights and freedoms that are, really do fit into kind of Appalachian values and mountain values and you know, the, you know, the idea that you should be able to do what you want hmm. with your body. What is this race? An R plus? R plus eight, eight, nine-ish. So okay. <laughs> walk so, in the park. Yeah. So <laughs> what we've heard from folks is like, why would he leave a very safe seat? And I think you kind of answered this and then take on such an uphill battle. It's a great question and one I got from a lot of people. And it relates back to that you know, conversation around what, what is mine to do and what maybe can only I do in this moment? And that's the question I ask all the time when I'm in the General Assembly. You know, if, if, is it an issue that, that I need to really tackle and lead on? And I really think this is one that I'm uniquely suited to do. And, and you know, it's a position that I think as an organizer, you can really make some headway. It's a position as somebody who does a lot of good bipartisan work that you can really make some headway. And, and I think as a kind of a moderate, you know, Democrat, we've got a really good good shot at it. And, and that decision, you know, came after you know, trying to find somebody to do this and trying to get somebody to step up. And, and I really think there's a bigger lesson here in politics, which is um, sometimes politicians want to do the things that they know they can win at or they know that there's a good shot at. And there are some good reasons for that, right? We shouldn't all jump into races that are really hard. But also, if, if we want our political system to advance, we need to have people who are willing to take some big swings. And, and willing to try to do something that's really hard. And I really feel called to this because I think this election is going to be the most important one in our lifetimes. You know, extremism on, is on the ballot. Our democracy is, is frankly on the ballot. When, when those things are on the vote, you have to do the hard things. You have to step up for the hard things, even if it means, you know, letting go of a seat and a job that I love. You know, I really, it, it's been a hard year in the General Assembly, but it's been a great year. And, and you know, the line I always use when I was in the Peace Corps, it was, toughest job you'll ever love. That was a slogan. And I think that's true for this job. And it's true for a lot of, you know, service jobs. It is remarkable, though, that you could be giving up a, a career as an elected official. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't win, but it is a lot to put on that line. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, I've never thought of myself as kind of a, a gambler, but but I I do feel like yeah, when 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 the stakes are really high, you, you got to swing for the fences and do the hard thing. And you know, I think you know, I'm lucky to be you know 37, and I, I do believe that you know life is long and and hopefully and when you get big opportunities like this you should you should do them and and i believe that you know i want to be i want to stay in politics and stay in this work because i i love it and i believe there will be opportunities afterwards and i also believe you know i believe we can win it we can get to congress Mm -hmm. but i think maybe this is a a covid thing too that there was a way that during covid we were all like who knows what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. and and we should just live our lives as if you know (laughs) we want to live with no regrets I think about when Trump got elected and I felt a little bit like I should have done more to try to help the Democratic Party. And, and I never want to have that feeling again. You know, there are plenty of examples, even here in North Carolina, where uh, a candidate has gone in and won in a district that really they shouldn't have won in if you're just looking at the index, R plus 8 or D plus 8. Senator Danny Britt down in Robeson County. Not only did he shock everyone in 2016, but he has flipped that region of the state by going in and talking to voters. And there's a narrative out there that the reason Democrats have lost blue-collar workers, rural voters, is because they just don't go in and talk to those folks. Yeah, You are changing that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think, um, you know, so much of this work is about conversations and about showing up. And, you know, I do this this activity a lot when I'm in groups of people as I ask, like, how many of you have ever let, met an elected official? You know, maybe it's 15 to 20 percent. And I think that says something about how much do politicians actually go out there and, and talk to folks? You know, those conversations can have such a big impact. Last time I was out canvassing I was going to my car and I see this guy walking down the street and he's got a dog with him. Um, and I always bring dog biscuits when I canvas, which is, you know, one of my, my tricks. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, go into my car to get the dog biscuits. I get those like, you know, what is it, like little black jacks, you know, those little black things that get stuck on your clothes or like yeah. a plant material or something like that. Yeah. And I get all of those stuck all over my clothes. And instead of stopping, I just continue to go talk to this guy <laughs> and I'm trying to like pick these off me myself while, while I'm talking to him, I give him his dog dog a biscuit, and you know he tells me he's you know rescued his dog, and it's is like that it was a rescue dog, and it stopped at his house, and he just picked it up, and he's just such a kind guy, who's you know like you know working class guy who's worked his whole life, and you know has a little house by the river, and as he's telling me his story, I'm picking these things off me, and he's like, hey, let me help you with that, and so. I turn around and he starts picking these little things off the back oh, of my shirt oh, oh. while we're standing in the middle of the street, and he tells me then that you know he was like, well, you know I don't really like Biden. I also don't, you know, maybe I don't really like Trump, but I might just vote for Trump. And, but, you know, we could have a conversation. And I think at the end, you know, we talked through some of the challenges of politics. We explained, you know, or I didn't explain, but heard him out on some immigration issues that he was worried about. And, you know, at the end, he invited me over to his house and, you know, to see this kind of beautiful view of the river. And, you know, he said one of the only reasons he could stay in his house was because of, you know, they had property tax assistance, which is like, you know, a good Democratic Party policy. And, you know, I think when you when you kind of sit and listen to folks and you build a relationship with them, when you start, you don't start with politics. You start with like, oh my gosh, you have the cutest dog in the world, and let's give your dog a biscuit. And right. I don't know if he's if he's going to vote for me in the end, but it, at least he feels like there's some politician there who's listening to them. There's somebody who's showing up, and and I also feel like as we as politicians need to do that, like even people who are on the other side of the aisle for me, like those folks are just trying to make it by and trying to make sense of what is right now a really complicated and difficult world to make sense of. And heck, I mean, when you think about all the issues in the news today, it's it's challenging. And yeah. I think y'all do a good job of you know having some humility in all of this. So you mentioned earlier that, that it's hard to be in the super minority. And when we interviewed you, it was prior to having a super majority. Actually, the week that you're interview came out was when that was official so did the session have an impact on your decision to run for a different seat it it, it was challenging and it was a punishing really difficult session I've always tried to find the bright side of things and um and there aren't many bright sides of this but but there are ways that you find you know you focus on the things that you can do and that you know give you some light and some hope and, and that's really helped me get through the session, you know, and we've done, you know, we had six bipartisan events with freshman Democrats and Republicans. I hosted with Kevin Crutchfield and, and Representative Bud and, 
you know, we did our, our first uh, annual bipartisan sing-along this year, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. We'll get you all to come next year. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we had some really hard votes this year, I really did build some relationships with people that I, I'm, I'm really grateful for. And, and I, we built some, some energy towards, you know, I think depolarizing our, our politics. We built some energy towards, you know, long-term relationship with freshman Democrats and Republicans that I think will pay dividends in the future. You know, that's not to say that I've just, some of the policy decisions this year, I just think we're not, we're not transparent and we're hurtful and we'll be hurtful to, to some North Carolinians, but to many North Carolinians. But, you know, we have to be able to look at the bright side on things too. Medicaid expansion happened this year. That was really great. There were some personal bright spots there. There were some bright spots of things that my office was able to do. You know, we got, you know, a few bills through the session this year. So, you know, it was a hard year. You know, I didn't didn't leave because it was a hard year because frankly, this is going to be harder than, <laughs> than being in, in the General Assembly. Your optimism was obvious from the minute I met you early in your service at the General Assembly all the way down to the last week of session. You were still optimistic, still reaching across the aisle, signing on to bills with Republicans. Your caucus, I felt at the end, was just kind of struggling and tattered and beat up and a little angry. I never got that from you. It's got to be hard being young and idealistic and full of energy and hope and optimism and still reaching across the aisle in a caucus that is just getting beat up. It, it, it is hard. And there have been some, some difficult times. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, you have to you'll allow those, allow yourself to mourn and allow yourself to get through some of those things. And then, then you get up and you get back to work because it's too important. In the last days of session, you co-sponsored legislation with Speaker Tim Moore, uh, Representative Aaron Perret, Representative John Hardister. All of you were primary sponsors on the resolution in support of Israel and the uh, war we are in right now between the state of Israel and Hamas. That was a tough bill. I know you are Jewish. And uh, for listeners who haven't heard the first podcast, it seemed to not divide the caucus. That's not right. There were just a few that had some uh, Democrats, that is, that had some concerns yeah. about the language. And did that put you in a bad spot? You know, it, it was a challenging time, and it still is for, for, for Jewish, Jewish folks and, and for Palestinians and the folks in Gaza. It just is. A, it's been a heartbreaking, heartbreaking um, few months. And it was challenging, you know, but what I've always tried to do is, and, and again, this is about conversations. And as an organizer, like, we just need to be able to talk about hard things. And I think in general, in politics, we need to be able to have more hard conversations. And, you know, I, I talked to all the Democrats who voted differently on that bill, and we had some really good conversations. And um, and I really tried to take that kind of transparency and conversation approach to to that this issue in general. You know, when whenever somebody emails my office about it, um, I, I try to respond and say, hey, let's, let's have a conversation, because I really think the debate and what's going, you know, what ha- what's happening in the media and a lot of the stuff, it just gets flattened. And mm-hmm. I think people have been pushed into really polarized territory. And so and I talked to a, a mediator. Um, actually, I spent a lot of time talking to mediators just, just to try to get their advice on how to handle some of these issues. And because I think politicians would do well to try to, yeah, get some advice from other fields. And, and I talked to this mediator about how to have conversations about it, how to have productive conversations. And so, you know, anybody who emails my office, um, I, I say, hey, you know, here's my calendar. Here's some time that's open. If you want to have a conversation, I'd love to, to talk about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, most of the people that email me after I respond that way, they don't set up a time to talk because, you know, some folks just want to get something off their chest and they don't want to have a conversation. But, you know, a lot of the folks that, that you know, or a few of the folks that email me do. And we, we sit down and talk and, you know, if, you know, we try to start these conversations with like, look, we, we may come from different places. Um, we, you know, the goal of this conversation today isn't to convince one person of the other person's perspective. It is to make sure that we hear each other and that we listen. And so, you know, and this is the mediator conversations that I've had, you know, trying to make sure that we set ourselves up for success. And, you know, we did that, done that with constituents, anybody that reaches out, you know, we had some conversations at UNC Asheville about Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, and what I tell people, like, if, if we expect folks in Israel and Palestine to make peace, but we can't have a conversation with each other. Right. Like we should take a real long look at, yeah. at what we're expecting of other people. 
you know, even the folks I disagreed with on these issues, afterwards they wrote back and said, hey, thank you for talking to me. It means a lot. And just like listening is our superpower or like, you know, like really just showing up and and being a kind of non-anxious presence really, really helps. And one of the things we want to try to do this next year in the General Assembly before I leave is try to figure out other ways that we we scale that up mm-hmm. because I, I think and y'all do such a great job of this too, of like, you know, trying to help folks have better conversations, see other perspectives. And, and, you know, th- there is just a huge gap in our politics and in our political system for that. And if we can figure out a way to operationalize it and build rules and kind of structures around it, I think we can, we can change a lot of things in this state for the better. I feel like on the Israel Palestinian question, the rules are, if I have any inkling of one belief, that means, let's just say I'm pro-Israel, which I am. I am Islamophobic. <laughs> if I say I have great sympathy and empathy and I support Palestinians living full lives as individuals, I get told I'm anti-Zionist. I mean, I just hate that because I believe that Israel has the right to defend itself. I believe that to my core. Uh, and I believe Hamas needs to be wiped off the earth. But at the same time, I have great uh, heartbreak when I see what's happening in Palestine. And that goes even before the war in the Gaza Strip and in the West Bank. So, as, yeah, and I feel like, yeah, the rules get set of what I can and cannot say. And then it's just like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just has been so, so challenging. And, and I've often, you know, when we have these conversations with other people, I, I often start with, you know, t- tell, tell me wh- about where you come from. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me your, your work and, or, you know, your, your background. Because I often describe, the, you know, the, the challenge around these discussions is like, you have the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors or the, you know, kids of Holocaust survivors talking to the people who are related to Palestinian refugees. And like, that is such a tense, difficult arena to go into. And, and, and there's a lot of trauma there. And, you know, one of the other experts I talked to this year was a, is a trauma therapist. Because I think some of our political beliefs come from deep trauma or, or, or they come from, you know, profound experiences. And, and I think we don't acknowledge those at our own peril right. and we don't plan for those at our own peril because, you know, and I've been in these discussions with, you know, folks on both sides of this issue and they get pretty heated pretty quickly. And when they do get heated, we don't stop and say, oh, I know this is getting heated because your grandmother survived the Holocaust and she believes that Israel is the only place that you know, she can, she can go or Jewish people can go. And the other side is, you know, well, you know, the Palestinians haven't had a state and they haven't had a, a place that they can govern themselves and, and that they can call their own and, and, and well, they're refugees. And, and I, right. and, you know, I think really coming at it first from, you know, tell me about who you are, where you come right. from, why you believe, why you believe this, um, just gives you a completely different perspective and way more empathy for, for policy positions and, and, and where people are. And I think having that empathy, it's a game changer. So since we interviewed you in April, I will ask you again, maybe it's changed. If you had a magic wand, what would you change about our politics? I think last time I said creativity. Um, and, and I think, you know, this time I think, you know, everybody should have to, you know, intern or, or bring on three young people for their job. One, when you have young people in the room, they kind of hold you, they hold you accountable and, and, and they, you know, they make sure that you're, you know, playing to your, that you're being the person you say you are. And, you know, if everybody had to have, you know, three young folks in their office, we, we would eventually get more people into politics and that's what we really need. You know, I think, um, and I've been working on this, this quote, tell me if you like it. It's you know, the best time to have brought a young person into politics was 20 years ago. <laughs> Second best time is now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that one about the tree. Yeah. And I think good. there's a lot of truth to that. It. That is like, you know, I go to so many Democratic Party events and political events. I feel like, where are the young people? And, and like, and of course, inevitably somebody afterwards raise their hands and you're like, what if we got on TikTok? Would that help? And you're like, mm-hmm. probably not that much. What right. you should do is like hire them, bring them on. And, That's you know, right. we had we had our six interns this summer and we had 18 applications for these internships. Wow. And whenever people say like young people aren't interested in politics, you're like, that's bogus. You know, what, what is, is really happening is that we don't have enough people who want to mentor young people and want to bring them in and give them opportunities and, and make sure they get paid for those opportunities. Cause I think if we you know if we did that, 
we would, you know, I'd have, you know, another young person to step up and replace me. We'd have more young people in politics. We'd have more diverse set of viewpoints in politics. And I think that would just be, it'd be great for North Carolina and for our country. Too often we tell them to just be quiet and wait your turn. And uh, you don't understand right now, but this is the way we do it. There's a lot of that in politics. A hundred percent. And it's not productive. And, you know, we need to think about investing in young people and bringing them in strategically. And again, it's like, how do we set ourselves up for success? And, and how do we really... Yeah, be strategic about how we build a better political system. Yeah. Young people also ask that important question, why are we doing this? Yes. Oh, my gosh. You know, my <laughs> and, and my intern last year, um, you know, she was just so, uh, Pulavi was her name, and she was just so honest. Yeah. Whenever I needed real feedback, I'd be like, how is that? She'd be like, you didn't do very good. Yeah, yeah. Or she'd be like, that was great. But there's just, they're not, they don't have the same, you know, polish and ideas about things. They're just willing to be real with you. And and we need, you know, especially politicians, we need folks who are just going to be completely real with us because this whole system relies on clear, honest communication. If we don't have that, yeah. we're screwed. Yeah. Well, Representative Caleb Rudow, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics, your willingness to step up and run for Congress in the 11th district. We appreciate your service in the North Carolina House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Guy. It's a pleasure. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I don't know that I got the answer to why. Representative Rudow is stepping aside from his very safe district to running against Congressman Chuck Edwards in that 11th district. I kind of get it. He feels like there's a, a bigger calling that someone needs to wave that Democratic banner in District 11 and run a, a, a race built on grassroots organizing. I get all that. It just seems like someone else could do that. And he gave up his seat, or I should say he's giving up his seat, uh, Representative Brian Turner, who had the seat before him. No, Representative Rudolph took actually Susan Fisher's place. So uh, Representative Turner's coming back. It's Lindsey Prather who's kind of on the on the ropes there. And that's a general election race. By the way, we'll cover that in a race of the week later uh, in the year. But it is interesting. I appreciated Representative Rudolph talking to us and uh, wish him well in his upcoming election. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Port Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Donald Bryson. He's at Donald Bryson on X. The tweet is, not for nothing, but there's a lot of concern about Taylor Swift from a lot of people who swore just a couple of years ago that they'd never watch the NFL again. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, yeah, I thought a lot of folks were done with the NFL. Yeah. It must not have hurt them because the NFL is doing better than ever before, and that's because of the Swifties. <laughs> Right. Of which I am a proud member, as I've said before. I don't count myself as a Swifty. I don't know all the songs. I will listen to Taylor Swift. I have a few on my playlist. But Taylor Swift means a lot to my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I have gone to a concert. I went to the Red concert with my daughter and my wife as well. And actually, my son went. We all loved it. When you have a teenage daughter, and my daughter's now 20, about to turn 21, but when you have a teenage daughter, sometimes finding conversation can be hard, Mm -hmm. and Taylor Swift gives us something to talk about, just like baseball and football with my son, especially when he was a teenager. So I cherish Taylor Swift. Very similar story. Maybe two months ago, I got in an Uber to go to Cary. 
Mm-hmm. Not to brag, I did go. Oh, congratulations. Don't want to return, but I went. And the Uber driver, he was playing a Taylor Swift song, and we got down the road, and another Taylor Swift song came on. So I'm like, I have to talk to him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, like, oh, are you a Taylor Swift fan? And he's like, I'm becoming one because my daughter likes her so much. And so I'm learning all of these things. So then I'm like telling him things. And he's like, I cannot wait to go home and talk to my 11 year old about what you and I talked about. Like it's bringing people together and the NFL and Taylor Swift bringing dads and daughters together. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I could write a dissertation on the people who are so angry about her being on TV and so angry about she's ruining football, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm sorry, John, that you couldn't look at somebody else for 24 seconds. You just wanted to see men, men, men. And that was it. I, that seems mm, a little gay. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with right, that. Right, of course. Nothing wrong with that. I believe... But it's always like the hyper-masculine guy who can't stand to see a beautiful, talented, successful woman. Yeah. And you know what that says about you, sir? It says that you're a teeny eeny man. <laughs> In more ways than one. I, I want to say this about watching the games with my wife this season. It's been hard since my son left for college because he used to be my Sunday afternoon watching football together guy. And then he goes to school, and it's me and my wife. And my wife, great. Julie endures football, I think, up until this season. Because now she's paying attention, especially when the Chiefs are on or the Eagles, because of not just Travis, but Jason Kelsey is on her radar, too. She likes the way Travis Kelsey seems to adore Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. and it's got her asking, like, what's the tight end do? What's the difference between a tight end and a wide receiver? I find I'm going back in time. It reminds me of some of the conversations I used to have with Alan because he had a million questions when we watched football together. Why is he doing this? Why is that? Why is there a yellow line there? So Julie and I have been able to enjoy the game. And in fact, we're kind of excited about the Super Bowl, and I'm excited that she's excited, and it makes the whole thing more pleasant. I'm with you Dudes that get upset. And I actually I've heard women too on social media. Yeah. Well, the women that are getting upset about it are like, it's some sort of elitism. Like, I liked sports before this. I'm not a bandwagon. I'm a real sports fan. Yeah. Like, shut up. Take a seat. Let's talk about the game itself. 15 minutes per quarter. There is only one hour of actual football play. And of that hour, I'd say really only 40 minutes of actual football play. A lot of it's just standing around watching the clock tick. The game is televised for three to three and a half hours. It has plenty of filler. Mm -hmm. There's the guy holding the John 316 sign. He's been at every game since the 1970s. There's the two doofuses. One guy holds a D. The other guy holds what looks like a fence. And wittily, they're saying defense. I mean... We watch these things. They're a part of the game. So I don't want to hear, oh, 25 seconds of Taylor Swift per game somehow is hurting you. It's not. You're watching joyful people support each other. Yeah. The same thing when we're watching the Olympics or we're watching a basketball game. Or, you know, we were talking earlier when Derek Jeter played for the Yankees. His parents would go to the games a lot. And when Derek Jeter hit a home run, they would always pan to his dad, mom, and he'd get a reaction. And we enjoy that. We enjoy seeing parents, loved ones, support the people who are out there playing. And if you don't support that, you really do need to check yourself. Agreed. I'm looking forward to the game, and I'm looking forward to seeing plenty of shots of of Taylor Swift. In fact, because of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, and the man bod of uh, Patrick Mahomes, or as we said last week, Fatty Mahomes. Dad bod. Dad bod. Did I say man bod? Yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for the Chiefs this year. And I know they're, they're kind of a... Everybody thinks they're a little cringy. Yeah. And, you know, when Travis Kelsey was up on stage, and <laughs> I loved the tweets that came out of him saying, we got to fight for the right to party. And then they panned to Taylor, so she's like kind of cringing, <laughs> you know? And like, we've all been there with a boyfriend, you know? Like they say some 
something stupid and you're like, you cringe and you just bear it. Like she writes poetry. Like she writes these really complicated lyrics and he's like up there yelling that and you're like, yeah, yeah there's just something <laughs> hilarious about her loving this guy. <laughs> and I have to support it. You've been there. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I cringe for you sometimes. Uh, I think we cringe for all women. I mean, you say yeah. stuff, and I'm like, I, I say to Julie, like, you married this man? This is your man? Look at the screen. Yeah. What are you guys doing with these men? Why are you with us? We say this all the time. I don't know. This is the first. All The Swifties have come together to support Travis Kelsey, and you know why. That's because of all of Taylor Swift's other boyfriends have not wanted their relationship to be public. Like, they're kind of embarrassed. Like, they're supposed to be the prize. Yeah. It's the opposite here. Like, he's very proud of her. Yeah. And so everybody's like, yes, finally somebody's proud of our girl. And she's America's girl. She really is. We all love her. Yeah, we've seen her grow up. Yeah. You know, full circle is that Toby Keith kind of, like, brought her into the business. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well... Love the Super Bowl. Kind of sad. The season is coming to an end. It seems like it was just started. No, but it's almost March Madness. It is. And I, you know I'm obsessed with college basketball, so that's the season I'm living in right now. I love March Madness, too. It's a real tournament. I love it. But you know what March Madness brings us to? Our brackets. Yeah, our brackets. We got our NC poll do politics better march madness brackets they will be coming out and i am excited about that we're gonna have our contenders vying for the championship trying to best last year's champion senator vicky solar all right folks we are getting closer and closer to that primary date and we're going to be featuring some more races if you have any that you'd like us to feature let us know we will talk to you next week But for this weekend, enjoy the Super Bowl and remember to do politics better. And Brian's rant and ramble of the week. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're done, right? Yeah, I think so. All right.